Part Four, Chapter Seven of Canada's Hundred Days. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James O'Connor. Canada's Hundred Days by John Livesay, Part Four, Chapter Seven. Capture of Mons. The pursuit was continued on November 8 and 9 and carried on throughout the day at great speed, the enemy being pushed through the industrial area with no time to make a definite stand. Prisoners said they no longer had any stomach for fight. Discipline had broken down and for a month past there had been no saluting of officers. Officers accustomed to brutally ill-treat their men now walked in fear of a bayonet thrust through the back. Revolution was in the air. Nevertheless, the enemy screen of machine gunners still fought stoutly. The 2nd Canadian Division was now on our right, south of the Mons Road, and the 3rd Canadian Division working along that road and north to the Condé Canal. That famous cavalry regiment, the 5th Lancers, had come temporarily under the corps command and together with the corps cavalry did invaluable work scouting along our flank the second canadian division had been at rest since october nineteen and its units were now to make perhaps the greatest advance in point of speed ever made by a fighting unit on the west front thus the fourth brigade was in billets at Aniche on november one its battalions busily engaged in deciding their sporting championships. On November 4, the entire brigade was transferred by bus from Aniche to the aubry onin area, whence the men marched on November 6 to saint Salve, taking part with the rest of the division in the relief of the 4th Canadian Division. From Aniche via Valenciennes to Mons is a fine week's trip to say nothing of the fighting, and the men were properly tired when the goal was reached. Part of the route was by road, but much of it was across country, top boot deep in mud and slush. Always the roads were torn with shell holes and freshly exploded mines, every crossroad presenting an enormous crater, hampering the troops as well as transport. On November 7, the 4th Brigade moved to the Quiverin Marchipont area and the following day pressed on to the Eluge area, catching up to the 5th Brigade and racing after the retiring enemy. Both the 5th and 6th Brigades had had hard fighting through the industrial district, which, with its network of railways and villages, offered fine ground for defense. On November 9, the important industrial center of Wasmus Paturage was freed, together with 30,000 civilians. The 4th Brigade, with the 18th Battalion, Western Ontario, on the right, and the 21st Battalion, Eastern Ontario, on the left, passed through the 5th Brigade and pushed on to the capture of Sipli, 3,500 yards, due south of Mons. 
Meantime, on the left, the 3rd Canadian Division, with the 7th Brigade in line, had pushed forward along the Mons Road and, further north, had crossed the Condé Canal over a bridgehead established during the night, bringing the line on the evening of November 9 to east of Flenu and Germap, the latter village being 3,000 yards due west of Mons, while further north we had captured Saint-Gislain and pushed out patrols towards the Bois de Gilin, northwest of Mons, the Princess Patricia's being on the right and 49th Battalion of Edmonton on the left. Hard fighting took place all along the line next day, Saturday, November 10. During the night the enemy had moved back his guns east of Mons, but kept up a heavy fire from the hills to the east of the city, and maintained from Bois-le-Haut, just east of Yon, a harassing machine-gun fire. On our right the 4th Brigade attacked, with the 20th Battalion on the right and 19th Battalion on the left, both central Ontario. The enemy fought with the greatest tenacity, to give himself time, no doubt, to evacuate his material, and small progress was made. The 19th in particular suffered severely, losing four officers killed and 53 other ranks killed and wounded. In the afternoon the enemy massed for a counterattack, but this was broken up by our artillery. Troops of this brigade kept pushing forward during the evening and night, and by two o'clock next morning, November 11, the 19th Battalion had fought its way through Hion towards the Mons-Saint-Symphorien road, where, supported by the 20th on their right, they established a line thus outflanking Mons from the east. At ten minutes past seven this morning, Brigade Headquarters received the following message, quote, Hostilities will cease at 11 a.m., November 11. Troops will stand fast on the line reached at that time, which will be reported to Divisional Headquarters immediately. Defensive precautions will be maintained there will be no intercourse with the enemy of any description. Meanwhile, quite a stiff opposition had faced the 7th Brigade. On the brigade right, the Princess Patricia's light infantry had pushed forward on the evening of November 9 into Quesmes, which lies just across the canal from Mons on the southwest. Working their way through the village, party surprised and rushed an enemy outpost two hundred yards from the city limit capturing three prisoners under cover of darkness this patrol advanced up the bank of the canal where the enemy post could be heard talking a skirmish ensued with an enemy party but our men made good their retreat taking with them two more prisoners in retaliation the boche attempted to rush this post no less than four times before midnight, bringing up a machine gun. On the following day, November 10, the 42nd Battalion relieved the PPLI on the outskirts of Mons, while on the brigade left the Royal Canadian Regiment came up, captured the strongly held village of Gilin, and working round the northwest of the city, 
established a post on the canal. That afternoon the enemy laid down a heavy bombardment, under cover of which he began his retirement to a new line on the high ground east of Mons. Both the 42nd and Royal Canadian Regiment threw out patrols, who so soon as night fell began working their way into the city. The enemy completed his evacuation before midnight of November 10 to 11, and we followed him closely into the town. Soon every civilian was out of bed, and when by three o'clock in the morning the city was reported clear, a scene of rejoicing began which continued throughout the day, a great reception being given our troops. A Canadian soldier who took part in the operation thus describes his impressions. Quote, the patrols reported back to their various headquarters that the enemy was established in a defense line five or six kilometers east of Mons itself, and that he was very nervous, firing his machine guns off in bursts and sending many flares up. Nothing further was done that night, there being no necessity to keep up with him at this stage of the advance. Outposts were kept up, however, and reliefs changed at usual intervals. The morning of November 11 dawned like any other day of that time of the year, a dull, dreary, bleak-looking sky overhead, and a mist hanging low over the ground. The outposts had been shivering through the cold early hours of the morning with no knowledge of any such thing as an armistice in their minds. Those that had slept relieved the night watchers and made note of the unusual quietness that pervaded the air, putting it down to one of the peculiarities of the day. Towards seven o'clock, the usual time for the day's advance to commence, a strange rumor ran through the ranks. No advance today. What is the matter, everybody queries. Something is wrong. Taint right, was the only answer available. The morning gradually brightened, and with it came a little word called armistice, which everybody was doubtful about. But not a single soul let up on the purpose he was there for. Steel helmets were still worn, and gas masks carried at the alert, ready for anything the enemy might attempt to pull off. Rifles and revolvers were cleaned, ready for future use, if need be. The posts were still on the job, peering into the morning mist for signs of activity on part of the Bosch, and performing their regular reliefs as though he was a matter of yards away. The artillery in the road was packing up, preparing for another advance. The usual morning's activities were noticed everywhere. Because rumors of an armistice were in the air, it did not mean that it was permissible to show signs of slackness. Everything went on as usual until official word came over the wire. Then, instead of going wild with joy, as some people will have it, a pronounced glow of satisfaction shone on the faces of all as though someone had told them the job had been well done, and handshakes all around with words of encouragement mixed with thumps on the back were the only visible signs of joy. Of cheers there were but few, 
the mind not being able to fully realize what armistice meant the subject was too big for them to grapple offhand and realize that no more would they have to dodge shells bullets bombs and other war paraphernalia which the hun was in the habit of throwing around much to the troops discomfort no more would they have to strain their nerves to hold their ground while the drone of an enemy plane passed over their heads in the dark dropping his bombs indiscriminately over the ground End quote. sir arthur curry describes these events as follows quote, when the advance was continued on november eighth the third canadian division pushed troops to the north and by noon had secured the villages of Tivoncel and saint hebert later in the day a footbridge was constructed across the conde mons canal and under cover of darkness patrols crossed and a bridgehead was established further south the third canadian division had surprised the enemy in the villages of montreuil sur anne and thulin at an early hour and these towns were quickly captured pushing on from here the village of hamin was taken and by nightfall our troops were on the western outskirts of Bosu. The second Canadian division met with strong opposition. Good progress was, however, made, and by nightfall the important village of Dour and the smaller villages of Bois de Bosu, Petit Ornou, Bois de Epinois, and a portion of the Bois de l'Eveque were cleared. Resuming the advance on November 9, the second Canadian division captured Wakini, Champ de Say, Petit Vasmus, Vasmus Paturage, La Bouverie, Lugy, Framerie, and Jeanly with little opposition. The advance made by this division was over four miles through densely populated areas. The twin towns of Vasmus Paturage combined, having a population of about 30,000. By nightfall, the 2nd Canadian Division was clear of the main mining district. The 3rd Canadian Division had on its left front crossed the river Aisne during the night, north of Montreuil sur Aisne, and later secured a foothold on the north bank of the Condé Mont Canal near Le Petit Crepin. During the afternoon, further troops were sent across the canal, and the villages of Petit Crepin ville pomeroy Otrage, and tert were taken further west the patrols which had crossed the canal on the previous day entered pomeroy and bernisart the third canadian division had also occupied bossu on its right before daylight on the ninth and rapid progress eastward was made during the day towards mons the villages of questmas jemap flenu Ornu, Vasmus, Carigon, Vasmuel, and Saint Gislain all being captured. The rapidity of our advance had evidently surprised and disorganized the enemy, although some opposition was met. By the morning of November 10, the 52nd Division, 8th Corps, had advanced and relieved the part of the 3rd Canadian Division operating north of the left boundary of the canadian corps the third canadian division's advance on november ten 
brought our troops to the southwestern outskirts of Mons, while the 2nd Canadian Division had reached the Mons-Givry Road, outflanking the city from the south, but owing to the large number of civilians still in the city, it was not possible for us to bombard the town. To the north of the Condé-Mons Canal, a further advance was made, and the village and fosse of Gilin secured. During the night of November 10 to 11, the divisions resumed their advance, and immediately after dark, the troops of the 7th Canadian Infantry Brigade, Brigadier General J. A. Clark, commenced to close in. The villages of Nimi and Petit Nimi were quickly captured, and an entry into Mons by way of the railway station was effected before midnight. By 6 a.m. on November 11, the stubborn machine-gun resistance had been broken and the town cleared of the enemy. The 2nd Canadian Division had during the night taken the Bois-le-Haut, a wood crowning a large hill on the southeastern outskirts of Mons, thus securing the right flank of the 3rd Canadian Division. The capture of this high ground forced upon the enemy a further retirement, and our troops still pressing on reached and captured saint symphorien and faubourg Barthelme by 8 a.m. In the meantime, word had been received through First Army that hostilities would cease at 11 a.m. on November 11, the armistice having been signed in acceptance of our terms. To secure a satisfactory line for the defense of Mons, our line was further advanced and the Bois de Havre, Bois de Rapois, and the town and villages of Havre, Bonvouloir, La Bruyere, Mazieres, Saint-Denis, and Aubourg were captured before hostilities ceased. The Grand Place of Mons is thronged. Here at eleven o'clock, the zero hour of peace, as the ceasefire sounds, the mayor presents to Brigadier General J. A. Clark of the 7th Canadian Infantry Brigade, the keys of the city in honor of its recapture this morning by units of that brigade. Bands play La Brabancorne, Belgium's national anthem, and O Canada. Pipers of the 42nd Battalion of Montreal lead the march past because it was the good fortune of that unit to first enter the city. This is the 5th Royal Highlanders of Canada, affiliated with the famous Black Watch, both privileged to wear the Hackle Highland Scarlet, and it is a noteworthy coincidence that the parent unit, 42nd Battalion of the British Army, was the first to leave England on August 12, 1914, and the last infantry unit to retire from Mons. By another happy good fortune, the British Field Battery, last to leave Mons on August 23, 1914, took part in this attack and actually finished in the identical battery position whence it had retired in 1914. One other coincidence is tragic in character. The first shot fired at Mons in 1914 was by the 5th Lancers, now attached to the Canadian Corps, and an officer who fought here then was killed an hour and a half before the armistice.
many things have happened in those four years from mons to the marne and back again not the least significant being the brotherhood in arms of the canadian corps and the british army shortly after noon the streets are placarded with a proclamation quote, to the people of mons signed by the college of the burgomaster and aldermen by monsieur jean lecart Poujance Masson, Léon Salve, Victor Mastreau, and Henri Roland, and countersigned by the Secretary of the Commune, Monsieur Gaston Taloup. It runs as follows, quote, After fifty-one months of suffering caused by the iniquitous, the pitiless, and insolent occupation of the German army, the city of Mons is at length delivered by the heroism of the British army which at the hour of the armistice completes its series of victories in the identical place where on august twenty three nineteen fourteen it first engaged the enemy the third canadian division at cost of heavy sacrifices entered the city at three o'clock this morning thus avenging by a striking success the retreat of nineteen fourteen honor and thanks be to it the armistice is signed. The German army has capitulated. Brutal force is destroyed. Justice and right triumph. Belgium is strengthened and fortified by the terrible ordeal she has passed through. Our people have supported with dignity and courage the sufferings of the occupation. We are convinced that in this hour of joy and triumph they will observe a like restraint and self-command. We depend on the good will of all to maintain order. We also ask our people to return as soon as possible to work. Losses inflicted on us by the war are great, and the cooperation of all our good will, all our energy, is necessary to heal over quickly the wounds it has caused. In this solemn hour, our infinite gratitude goes to the Allied armies, and among them, from the bottom of our heart to our valiant belgian army and to the king its heroic chief long live the king long live the belgian nation End quote. such was the dramatic end to the work of the canadian corps in the hundred days from amiens along the Rouai road then from arras through the drocourt quiant line to the canal du nord across the canal du nord over the hard field of cambrai and so through denain and valenciennes to mons the final operation is thus described in the narrative of the first army Quote, november eleventh during this day the second canadian division had gained the high ground south and east of mons and were forcing the germans to withdraw at dawn on november eleventh the third canadian division entered the town and a line was established east of it fighting had been carried on all that night and did germans still lay in the streets and were kicked by the inhabitants as they lay while the carillon of the belfry played tipperary the players having silently practised the tune in anticipation of the british arrival the last round 
fired by the Canadian artillery, had shot off the arm of a German staff officer in a headquarters chateau by Hill 85 to the east of Mons. Early on November 11, Canadian Corps headquarters were established in the Grand Place at Mons, and the first message there received was to the effect that the armistice was signed and that hostilities were to cease at eleven o'clock. Sir Douglas Haig's last communique stated, Canadian troops of the First Army have captured Mons. End of Part 4, Chapter 7 Recording by James O'Connor, Randolph, Massachusetts, October 2010